good jazz fans, welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for Utah jazz basketball content from an analytical emphasis without any of the ads that ruin your listening experience and from a fan's perspective. I'm Adam Bushman, your host, ready to walk you through what was a wild trade deadline and specifically address the trade deadline from the Utah Jazz perspective. Uh, We're going to also get into how everything that happened affects the playoff race, affects the draft outlook for this upcoming 2023 draft, and also discuss the future of the Utah Jazz, what it kind of holds and how it's been uh, shaped throughout this trade deadline. All that and more we're getting into today on the podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast either on YouTube or on the podcatcher of your choice, following us on Twitter, uh, our handle is at jabber underscore jazz. Leaving a review or a comment goes a long way to helping these videos and these episodes circulate throughout jazz fandom uh, so everybody can get some more Utah jazz in their life. Well, without further ado, let's jabber jazz. Okay, so the jazz made a trade this deadline, and boy, was it a wild deadline. This was insane. All but two teams in the NBA made a trade this deadline, and some people were kind of we're kind of hinting at what would likely be a quiet deadline. And we saw anything but. We saw stars move. We saw people who had, or players who had been kind of queued up to be traded. They got dealt. And we saw a lot of movement at the top of the NBA standings and at the bottom. And so it's really, really going to shake things up in a major, major way in both conferences and throughout the league. We're going to get into all the specifics of the trade deadline and how it impacts the playoff race, the uh, draft standings for this upcoming draft. We're going to get into all that. But first, let's start with the Utah Jazz trade. Uh, The first thing I'll just say quick is that the Jazz made a trade. In years past, we've seen rumors fly around and the Jazz let the deadline expire without actually pulling the trigger on a trade. Just take a step back for a second and remember the reaction of the fandom and possibly yourself in the moment when that type of thing happened. I could speak for myself that often I kind of had a knee-jerk reaction to say, oh man, I can't believe the Jazz didn't do anything. They stood pat and they and they didn't really address any of the any of the issues on the team either for the future or just kind of uh, you know assembling things in a better better package for what uh, the immediate goals were, and so I, I I remember that the that the whole fan base had reacted similar. Oh my gosh, I can't believe everybody in the NBA is doing something. Everyone is getting better, and we've done nothing. We've said that in the past. But the Jazz actually did a trade this deadline. And plenty of times we've been mad they did it in the past. So in a sense, I think we can kind of be grateful that the Jazz actually pulled a trigger. Now, some of the more, I guess, sensible voices back in the day when, you know, general fandom was you know, reacting negatively to no trades... The sensible voices in the fan base and around the market used to always say, well, would you have preferred the Jazz just make a bad deal? Like, it's possible that they could have forced things and uh, reacted in the moment and not had a strategic view on the situation. 
And from that perspective, sure, you may say that the Jazz kind of did so with this trade, but but in a sense, we we've all kind of felt like, hey, you know, do do something because the alternative of staying pat isn't isn't always the the right choice. So I think there's an element here where you know we we could be grateful and we could look at the lens of saying hey well at least the jazz didn't just stand pat at least the jazz didn't just kick the can down the road even farther because that would have had its own consequences as well all right now let's get into the actual trade the jazz the lakers and the timberwolves all kind of squared away on this deal uh, russell westbrook along with a top four protected pick in 2027 from the lakers are headed to the utah jazz mike conley Nikhil alexander walker two utah jazz second round picks and a lakers first round uh, second round pick excuse me all that is headed to minnesota and d'angelo russell malik beasley and jared vanderbilt are heading to the Lakers. So let's talk about this trade. What's kind of the good on this one? As far as I can kind of tell, the first real good perspective on this trade is that the Jazz really have an excellent pick on the horizon. It really truly is an excellent pick. And if we think about it, the Jazz came into this trade deadline with a laser focus on the 2025-2026 season. They had a laser focus on that season because that was the season where they are expecting to be, quote, back. They are expecting to be back into contention status and kick off what they hope to be a long, open window for title uh, contention. So the Jazz had this laser focus on that year to begin this title window. Well, truthfully, the guys we sent out in the trade weren't likely to be helpful in that year. Now, Mike Connolly certainly was, uh, wasn't going to be helpful. Uh, perhaps he's still with the team, but that's very unlikely. And even if he was with the team, fast forward you know, three years, basically, uh, you're, you're, talking about, you're, you're talking about a player who isn't likely to be contributing in a major way on the court. The two seconds that the Jazz, well, and I, and I should say, Malik Beasley is the one exception. Malik Beasley is the one exception because of his skill set as a shooter and his age. That one, I kind of felt like, hey, you're going to need that, that type of profile, those skills in 2025, 2026. You're going to need a shooter like that uh, with that volume and that proficiency. Now, he definitely could have helped in that year. However, there are some reasons to say there are plenty of substitutes for him that the Jazz could find along the way, and it wasn't really worth the extension he probably is likely to get in the 2024 offseason or, or you know, midseason leading up to there. He may not be worth that, that figure uh, ahead of that season. The, the two seconds the Jazz sent away, sent to Minnesota. They also weren't likely to help in 2025-2026. The, the two seconds were likely going to be uh, middle of the pack. Um, they are future seconds, so they're, they're not coming in the next couple drafts. So those weren't likely to be helpful in that year and beyond. Um, even two heavily protected picks, if we were to get those, you know, top 20 protected where hey, you're really only getting them if they're 
in like the 21 to 30 spot, even if you had two of those, I don't know if those actual players help in 2025, 2026. Like they very well could, but I don't know that you could bank on that, frankly. This Los Angeles Lakers pick, this one has real upside to help the team. And that could come in a variety of ways, which we'll get to later via trading before that draft even happens. Um, or, you know, when you're in the in the thick of your championship contention, all of a sudden you get, you know, a higher lottery pick, uh, kind of like what the uh, New Orleans Pelicans were hoping to have this year with the Lakers being bad. Uh, all of a sudden that could really change the course of your of your entire team. So I do think we we truly do, even though it's top four protected, we do truly have an excellent pick on the horizon. Uh, we And some other good or some other benefits of this trade is that the guys we sent out get to compete. Mike Conley, we love him. He's an amazing guy, and he deserves to really try to compete. And he'll be able to do so in a much more serious way in Minnesota than he was able to do with the Utah Jazz this year. Similarly with Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, they're going to be in the most winning and um, expectation-filled role and season that they've they've kind of ever had, which will be which will be really awesome for them. The Jazz also improved their draft position. This is one of the big benefits of of pulling off this trade, and probably why the Jazz executed maybe a little prematurely. Let's break it down. So the Jazz are within spitting distance of either getting into the playoffs or dropping down into that 6, 7, 8 range for a pick in the 2023 draft. The Jazz are right on the cusp of either of those. You hold on to the guys. You don't make the trade. We either stay right in that middle or we or we fall either way. And... And you, you really can't say that there's there's much probability in any scenario. With the Jazz moving on from the players, it now gets heavily weighted to where the Jazz make up that little ground, right? The two games, two, three games, to slide into that six, seven, eight range for uh, a pick in the upcoming draft. So the Jazz are very likely to have improved their draft position by executing the trade now. Also, the Lakers should improve. The Lakers are behind the Jazz in the standings, a.k.a. They're, they're taking a spot in the draft that we would prefer to occupy. So by virtue of them improving and us regressing, us getting worse, ideally we're switching places and, and the Jazz can be where they want to be, and they've helped themselves by helping another team pass them in the standings, that type of thing. The Wolves are also probably worse long-term. Okay, They've hitched their wagon to another piece that has in Conley, who has had injury concerns, is trending older, and we've seen production dip. He's still high impact, but when the impact wanes, uh, there's, you know, you basically have a player who's borderline in the league when the impact uh, wanes. So the Wolves are probably worse long term. If they had kept D'Angelo Russell, they would have had two options extend him, 
in which case they're hitching their wagon to you know a guy who's six seven years younger than Conley, or they let him go for nothing, and now the Wolves have even less talent on the team uh, amidst all of their all of their cap crunch. So in a sense, the Wolves are likely worse long term. And with the Jazz having another Wolves pick, or the next Wolves pick come in 2025, that I think the Jazz were interested to short the Wolves a little bit more and and bet that, hey, Mike Conley going to the Wolves probably makes them worse in 2025 than had they just kept D'Angelo Russell. And certainly for 2027, where the Jazz have another Minnesota unprotected pick, and 2029 when it's top five protected, surely those seasons uh, you are almost positive that the Wolves would be uh, worse off with Conley as opposed to uh, D'Angelo Russell. Another benefit here is that the Jazz get some cap space this summer. Now, along with that, you say, well, who are they going to get? The Jazz aren't a free agent destination. True. There are some players who I think would be interested to just chase a bag, and if the Jazz can, if the Jazz feel fine about the that figure for the player, then I think they would pull the trigger. There's also an element here where the Jazz having all that cap space means they can absorb a player and additional compensation uh, with, without having to give up much. Say, for example, that the Miami Heat are really, really desperate to get off Duncan Robinson. And they trade Duncan Robinson right into the Jazz cap space and attach assets to do so. And the Jazz don't have to really give anything up. Hey, that, that's a win. Similarly, the Jazz have been after John Collins. He didn't get moved this deadline. Perhaps come the summer, the Hawks are really just interested in getting off of his money. You could see a situation where the Jazz attach a, a very, very low asset uh, and bring John Collins just into our space and do the Atlanta Hawks a big favor. Those type of things aren't able to happen at the trade deadline right now. They, we, we don't have the cap space, so we always have to attach assets back to them for, for things to work out. So whether the Jazz use an actual free agency or they carry it into the year, to alleviate teams of problem contracts and in so doing the jazz get extra compensation that that's that's a benefit for sure it, it it affords the jazz ultimate flexibility and should a star come on the market well the jazz could attach you know three to five first round picks for the star and they don't really have to send out much salary Whereas at this deadline, you would have had to nearly match the salary dollar for dollar. And a final benefit that I've been able to see from this Jazz trade is that you got more playing time for O'Shea Abaji, Colin Sexton, Simone Fontecchio. Uh, and if we're honest, Walker Kessler. You know, Walker Kessler now is probably burgeoning on 30 minutes a night. So... With those guys getting extra time, we're going to be able to see, hey, can Colin Sexton settle down enough to lead a second unit? Lead a second unit as a sixth man who balances his, his skills for getting downhill and scoring uh, with the deficiencies that he has on defense uh, and in making the, the wrong decision. Right? He's a fantastic shooter. Can he lean more into that? 
the Jazz are going to be able to see. Uh, Oshai Abaji, he had really kind of been limited because uh, Mike Conley and Malik Beasley were ahead of him in, in the guard rotation. With those two gone, frees up a lot more time for Oshai Abaji. And we're going to see him a lot more and more. And I think the Jazz are going to try to test him as that 3D&D player. If you haven't heard me talk about 3D&D, it's really a permutation off of a 3D where you have a player who hits threes and plays defense. That model exclusively doesn't work in the NBA anymore. You need that second D, which I've coined as drive. You need to be able to hit the three. You need, peop you need to be able to stop people on defense. And you need to be able to drive. It's not just enough to hang out on the three-point line and wait till you're open and shoot. Eventually, people are going to hard close you out, and you need to be able to drive off of those closeouts and build off the advantage. Or if you're kind of being uh, faced up, you need to be able to drive or cut to the basket in order to shake up the movement of the defense and allow for holes where the offense can penetrate. So we're going to really be able to see if Oshai Abaji can can really plumb there and, and be that type of scalable scalable figure that the Jazz would want for a team that looks to contend in a few years. And Simone Fontecchio, can he actually play NBA rotation minutes? We're gonna find out. And none of that was really possible with the Jazz having, you know, those three players all having heavy minutes. And then Nikhil Alexander Walker having about as many minutes as Oshai Abaji throughout the season. So those were some of the big benefits that I saw from this trade. Now let's get to the bad really quick. And the glaring one is that it's, it is extremely disappointing that there's no truly unprotected pick. It was always kind of a pipe dream. And I think we all knew this, but in a sense, I think we were hoping the Lakers would get desperate enough to make it a reality. But it was always kind of a pipe dream for the Lakers to include both picks, especially when reports were coming out that the Lakers didn't attach both first round picks for Kyrie Irving. Now, I know that after the fact, after the fact that Kyrie went to Dallas, it came out that, oh, the Lakers were including both first-round picks. Maybe they were. It's possible. But from what we had kind of heard leading up to the deal being confirmed of Kyrie to Dallas, uh, and, I mean, what do, you, what do you have to gain by saying you didn't include both picks after the fact? I tend to think they didn't. And if they really weren't going to pony that up for Kyrie Irving, who they said, hey, we, we will part with these two picks for a star. They really weren't doing that for Kyrie Irving, a star, who they were looking to sign in the offseason anyways, and who really completes a big three in the Los Angeles Lakers. They weren't going to part with two for anybody, really. That They had just made up their mind, hey, two picks? No, we're not moving them both. And so... But, but even still, the Jazz kept saying they wanted a first-round pick for all three, Conley, Vanderbilt, and Beasley. And I think we saw during the deadline that the real market was for multiple seconds. Jay Crowder went for multiple seconds. Uh, if we look um, at, at some of the other deals... Um, 
let's see, Eric Gordon went for multiple seconds. Um, the one that kind of saw a protected pick that would have kind of been in our realm was Josh Hart. Josh Hart yielded a heavily protected first from the New York Knicks. Okay. Also, Jakob Pertl, he received, he went for a protected pick from the Toronto Raptors. Okay. But a lot of these guys, Josh Richardson from the San Antonio Spurs, Spurs said they wanted a, a first-round pick for him. They got multiple seconds. And um, th that was really the market. Multiple seconds was the market. And if we're honest about it, multiple seconds doesn't really do it for the Jazz, I don't think. I mean, sure, you can hold those down the line and attach them to one salary to make marginal improvements, but the Jazz already have tons of picks. Like, we can move one of our unprotected picks and get something back that's serious as opposed to a marginal upgrade. You make marginal upgrades when your whole roster is pretty set and you've and you've emptied your war chest to get to your roster being pretty set. Denver Nuggets, for example. Okay, they got two seconds for Bones Highland. Bones Highland, okay, he was a first-round pick, and um, he had been outplaying his draft position, and, you know, there was some interpersonal stuff with, uh, with Denver, and he went for two seconds. So I don't really feel like the market was there for the Jazz to get a pick each. And if they had, Beasley was probably the best, the, the highest likelihood. And that would have gotten you a heavily protected first, just like Josh Hart. And, um, and probably not as good a, a, a protected pick as Jakob Pertl did for the San Antonio Spurs when they dealt him to Toronto. So given all the picks we have right now, the Jazz said, hey, we have a unique, a unique opportunity to not do what the Knicks did, where they got a ton of quantity, not do what the Oklahoma City Thunder have done the last couple of years, which is just get quantity. We have the quantity, and it's quantity and quality. What we could do right now with this trade is we could prioritize quality. We're going to prioritize a real true awesome pick and try to get it done and they did and we heard anecdotally through reporting from the jazz's local beat writers that the jazz did everything they could to try to make this deal work and the 11th hour minnesota pushed for extra draft compensation and the jazz threw in the two seconds okay they did everything they could to swing this deal and it is disappointing that all of that couldn't really get them a true unprotected pick. It really is disappointing. I'm with you guys there. And frankly, because of that fact, that fact alone, I am a bit torn over this trade, frankly. But the more I think about it, I, I think, hey, would I, would I like two top 20 protected picks? I mean, it's quantity, yeah. But it's not really quality. It's, it's not really... It's not really the level that you say, hey, that is definitely going to help the Jazz for their next title contention window. So it, when I think about it through that lens and when I think about how the real market was multiple seconds for these, for these players, I do think that I would prefer a top four protected pick in 2027 from the 
Los Angeles Lakers, who since you know Kobe's heyday haven't been able to figure stuff out, I think I I think I'd prefer that. Also, Andy Larson broke down the value of some of the picks um, in a recent article for Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, really interesting stuff there, and what I kind of took away from it, um, which was a little bit a little bit off the cuff or or kind of an under the radar theme, was that the Jazz traded real knowns for some unknown upside. Basically, if we had gotten those protected picks, we know where they're going to end up. Twenty-one to thirty, pretty much. Two picks, twenty-one to thirty. Okay, that's about the same as as getting you know three seconds. Okay, they they're all about the same value. Okay, when you're in the end of the draft and into the second round, it's a morass of twenty-five picks that all yield about the same chance to get a real player. So the Jazz were locked into that destiny with their second round picks or if they got two heavily protected picks back in that deal. They were locked into those kind of scenarios. And what the Jazz did is they also took knowns of Mike Conley and his age, where Jared Vanderbilt is as a player, his development, his strengths and weaknesses, and what the reality would have been with Malik Beasley and extending him going forward. They took all that reality all those knowns and said, hey, we're going to trade that for the real possibility that we could have a number eight pick in the 2027 draft. So it's it's a bet. It's it's, you know, a gamble. But oftentimes I think thinking about it from, a, hey, it is a known and the known is worse than what could be because worst case scenario, I think the um, worst case scenario, that pick turns out to be a second because it immediately doesn't convey and the Jazz get a second. Okay, the Jazz would have had basically that value of pick in uh, had they traded Malik Beasley on his own. It wouldn't have been a second, it would have been a first, but you're talking seven, eight spots in the draft. And at the end of the first round, start of the second round, virtually the same thing. So that's why, you know, I think there's a level here where you traded some knowns for a real unknown. Um, another real disappointing and, and negative light on this, on this trade is that best case scenario, the wolves stay neutral. Okay, best case scenario, they, they're still hovering right at the end of the lottery, um, and they make the play-in, and it goes one of two ways. Okay, that's, that's probably our best-case scenario, frankly, for this season in the, in the immediate present. But worst-case scenario, they really kind of make their way up the standings, and they, they end up you know, a seven seed or something, and the, the Jazz pick ends up being 16-17. So that that kind of sucks. You know, we kept hoping and hoping that, hey, maybe the Wolves, you know, fall uh, enough to where they're the 10th or the 12th pick in the draft. And that's still possible. But I think the probability distribution is heavily weighted on the outcomes of them getting better. 
Uh, and really, we can't say much as far as a best-case scenario than the Wolves just staying neutral. And, and then the, uh, the other thing is that, hey, I, the, the Jazz, we kept talking about the worst-case scenario for that Lakers pick is that it immediately doesn't convey, turns into a second. The Jazz lose out on all that potential. My personal feeling is I don't think the Jazz ever make this selection. It's in the 2027 draft. We're talking four years from now. Per what the Jazz are looking timeline line timeline wise, they're they're looking to get back in their title contention window in the 2025-2026 season. Two years prior to that pick ever being selected. That's enough time, I think, and that that timing works out enough that I don't think the Jazz make this selection. I think they trade it ahead of time. And they get, you know, they they essentially get, you know, a 10, 12 pick value. They don't quite get, you know, a, a number five, number six, number seven pick value back in return. But I think they get in the 10 to 12 range. And that would that would probably be a win for the Jazz, frankly, because honestly, we need the picks ahead of time before that one even comes around. We need those to hit. And if those hit, we'll be in a good spot to use that to help fill out the roster. And it's one that we won't have to, it's one we can give up instead of some of the truly unprotected picks from Minnesota and Cleveland. So I don't think the Jazz ever make that one. And if things work out well, the Jazz can trade it ahead of time to where there's still some unknowns about the Lakers and enough unknowns that, uh, that, that teams will value it in that 10 to 12 pick range as a back-end lottery pick. So uh, that's kind of my thoughts. And that's that's kind of what I think about the trade overall. I, I'm torn, frankly. The more I think about it, the more I think that it's it's asset management and it's really kind of trading some known, knowns for an unknown. Um, it's really kind of a move to make sure the Jazz pick this year returns uh, some high level value. And I think it's about trying to figure out the rest of the team and what they kind of look like for the 2025, 2026 window. And the more I think about those things, it's not great. Just like the Bojan trade wasn't great, but in a sense, I, I understand and, 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 uh, probably aren't treating the front office too harshly. It's probably the best way to say it. All right, now let's get into who got worse and who got better from this trade deadline. So let's kind of run through it team by team. Uh, everyone we don't go into right now, um, actually, let's just go through everybody, okay? So the Boston Celtics, they have Mike Muscala coming in, and they have Justin Jackson two seconds going out in this deadline, okay? They are the number one team in the league, number one team in the East, and I think this makes them just a little bit better. Mike Muscala wasn't playing all that much in Oklahoma City, so he wasn't generating a lot of buzz, but he's a good shooter. Um, he really has good impact, and he probably doesn't play a ton for Boston, but gives them a different look, and, and I think they got a little bit better. Denver Nuggets. They have Thomas Bryant center coming in and two seconds coming in, and they have Bones Highland going out along with three seconds. 
This, I think, keeps them neutral. It distributes the talent a little bit more, so you could say, hey, maybe they're better. But really, Thomas Bryant behind Nikola Jokic, that's not, gonna, that's not going to have a huge impact on the team, in my opinion. And, you know, for the issues that Bones Highland was kind of creating, I think that he was a, an important part of helping uh, Jamal Murray kind of have a, a foundation to work his way back. But he's trending back now. So overall, I think that this is kind of neutral. And if anything, the benefit is that Denver gets to play Jamal Murray more, like that type of thing. And, and Bones isn't isn't absorbing volume from the guys that are their best guys. So Denver neutral, I'm thinking. Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks, they have Jay Crowder coming in. And they have Nora, uh, Hill, Ibaka, and five second rounders going out in this deadline. This makes them better, frankly. Um, Jordan Nora, George Hill, Serge Ibaka, none of them were really needle movers at all for the Bucks. So they essentially traded three guys who, who definitely aren't in their playoff rotation and see spot minutes during the regular season, mostly when the starters are resting. And if you're resting all the starters, you've pretty much said, hey, we're okay losing the game anyways. And if you're okay losing the game, it doesn't matter who's out there. They essentially traded three non-factors for Jay Crowder, who was the piece who kind of balances the entire roster, balances offense with defense, adds some more shooting, certainly adds toughness, that type of thing. So I think they got better. Memphis Grizzlies, they have Luke Kennard coming in, and they have Danny Green going out. Um, I think this makes them better. I think they needed shooting, and they got it. They got it, Luke Kennard. And, you know, it. they also, they also, you know, don't, in this type of move, they were hoping that Danny Green would be the shooter-defense combo. He wasn't looking like it. Kennard won't be that. He'll just be the shooter. But still, I think they got better. Philadelphia 76ers, they have Jalen McDaniels coming in. And they have Matisse Thibel and some amount of seconds, I couldn't track it down, going out in this deal. And I think they got better here too. Again, Thibel, awesome defender, wasn't giving much on offense. And I think Jalen McDaniels of Charlotte, I think he balances things far better than Thibault. And there's not this, I don't know, I don't think there's this expectation within the fan base and the organization of, oh, hey, we drafted him. He's our guy. We believe in him. Keep plumbing that. And McDaniels can kind of just slot in and meet expectations. Uh, Phoenix Suns, (laughs) Uh, they have Kevin Durant, TJ Warren, and Darius Baisley coming into the team. They have uh, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Dario Saric, four firsts, and a swap going out. Uh, They got better. Uh, They got better. And, And when I say better, that's for this year. They're better this year, no doubt. Um, and they are eight and a half games in the east in the west behind um denver and with this i think that uh, they can ascend back up to the three seed uh by season end cleveland cavaliers they didn't make a trade they're neutral uh, dallas mavericks they got kyrie irving 
Markeith Morris. They sent out Dorian Finney-Smith, um, Spencer Dinwiddie, and a first-round pick. They got better. They got better. Um, that's for this season. And, and specifically for the rest of the regular season, I think Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris help a lot more for the regular season. We'll see come playoff times, but especially regular season, they'll help a lot more than the other guys were going. And we're not considering the future beyond this season, so Dallas got better for sure. Sacramento Kings, they got uh, Kessler Edwards and Cash from the Brooklyn Nets. I think they stay neutral. I don't think that was anything. And, and they mostly think Edwards is going to spend time with their G League affiliate anyways. Miami Heat, they didn't take anything in, but they traded Dwayne Dedman and, uh, and one second neutral. Um, Dedman played a little, and he wasn't great anyways. Los Angeles Clippers, they have Bones Highland coming in. Eric Gordon of Houston coming in. Miles Plumley or Mason Plumley, excuse me. Mason Plumley coming in. They have Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, and five seconds going out. I think this makes them I think this makes them better. Um I think Highland is a guy, Highland and Gordon are guys who can absorb volume when uh Paul George and uh Kawhi Leonard aren't playing, and they needed a backup big, and Plumlee has shown uh, some some good stuff this year. So I think this makes them a little better. New York Knicks, they got Josh Hart, and they sent Cam Reddish at a protected first-round pick out. Neutral to me. I think marginal improvement over Reddish, but I don't think it I don't think it helps them much in standings or anything. Brooklyn Nets, they have Finney Smith, Dinwiddie, uh, a first. Um, one swap and, uh, or excuse me, they have five firsts, uh, a swap and three seconds coming in and they have Durant, Irving, Morris, Edwards, Warren and cash going out. So overall they got worse for sure for this season though, given that Durant has been injured, Irving has been in and out and stuff. Um, and I think that they're they're definitely worse this year, but I don't think they're going to fall nearly as far as would indicate when you trade your two stars. I think for this year, they're motivated and they're motivated and the players they have are are just fine and and I think will keep their head above water and they've built a nice cushion in the East too. New Orleans Pelicans, they got Josh Richardson, sent out Devontae Graham in four seconds. This, again, diversifies their roster a bit, and I think this makes them a bit better. Golden State Warriors, they get Gary Payton a second. Five seconds. They trade five seconds and James Wiseman. For the Golden State Warriors, this one's interesting. Um, It feels neutral, but if Payton the second plays... um, even at like 80% of what he did last year, they probably got a little bit better. Um, yeah, they probably got a little bit better. The Atlanta Hawks, they get Sadiq Bay, Garrison Matthews, Bruno Fernando, and they send out Justin Holiday and Frank Kaminsky. This one makes them a little bit better. Um, yeah, Bay probably does some good stuff for them. So this probably makes them a little bit better. 
the Lakers, they get Rui Hashimura, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Van- Vanderbilt, Mo Bamba, uh, Davon Reed in three seconds. And they give up Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano Anderson, Damian Jones, Kendrick Nunn, Patrick Beverly, Thomas Bryant. One first, two seconds. This makes them a lot better. A lot better. Now, the question is, hey, are they really title contenders? Probably not. But I think this makes them quite a bit better. And um, and I think they definitely get into the play-in. And it's possible that they could ascend even further. Uh, so this definitely makes them better. Now let's go to the Toronto Raptors. They get Jakob Pertle. And they send out Kem Birch. One protected first and two seconds. This makes them better this year, frankly. Like the glaring hole for the Raptors is they were trying to play a bunch of small guys, and now they've got a center. They've got a versatile center who's good defensively and on offense. This makes them better for sure. Oklahoma City Thunder, they take in Justin Jackson and Dario Saric in one second, and they trade away Darius Baisley and Mike Muscala. They weren't playing Mike Muscala. This literally makes them neutral. Like it has no bearing on their season at all. Chicago Bulls did not make a trade. They are neutral. The Minnesota Timberwolves, they get Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, three seconds, and they send away D'Angelo Russell. I think this keeps them neutral. Um, but, but there's an argument they could be better, too. So Conley does present some of the skills that and, and the unique things they need, so it probably does make them better. I wrote neutral down. Could go either way, but um, I think if you had to pick, it's probably more likely they're better than neutral, but yeah, that's Minnesota. Washington Wizards, they take in Kendrick Nunn in three seconds. They trade out Rui Hashimura. I think this keeps them neutral. It, I mean, it means that uh, it means Denny Avdia, it means Kyle Kuzma, and those guys get more run, and Hashimura's not absorbing offense from better guys. I think this makes them I think this keeps them neutral. Portland Trailblazers, they receive uh, Matisse Thibault, Cam Reddish, Kevin Knox, one first and five seconds for Gary Payton the second, Svi Mikhailuk, and Josh Hart. This keeps them neutral. Like the real thing there is they got a first and multiple seconds and they get some second draft guys, but that's about it. Uh, the Indiana Pacers, they take in uh, Jordan Wara, George Hill, Serge Ibaka, three seconds and some cash. It has no bearing on their season at all. Utah Jazz take in Russell Westbrook, Damian Jones, Juan Toscano Anderson at first. They send out Conley, Beasley, Vanderbilt, uh, Alexander Walker. This makes the Jazz worse. This definitely makes the Jazz work, worse. And we'll get into it for... Um, the playoff race and the uh, draft outlook. The Orlando Magic, they take in Patrick Beverly in two seconds. They send out Mo Bamba. Bamba wasn't getting time, and um, this kind of allows the Orlando Magic to get additional cap flexibility for when they likely pursue Fred Van Vliet in free agency. San Antonio Spurs, Devontae Graham, Kim Birch, Dwayne Dedman, a first, seven seconds is what they get back. They sent out Pirtle and Richardson. This makes them neutral. Uh, Pirtle was playing a lot and was good, but the rest of their team was so bad, Like it, I don't think it makes much difference on their win-loss total. Uh, 
even if their talent is worse. Charlotte Hornets, they tr- um, they receive Reggie Jackson, Svi Mikhailuk in a number of seconds. They trade away Plumley. This keeps them neutral. Again, same thing as the Spurs. Like Plumley was good for them, but their team is so bad that I don't think it has much bearing on their season success at all. Houston Rockets, they receive uh, John Wall, Frank Kaminsky, uh, Justin Holiday, and Danny Green. And they trade away Eric Gordon. Uh, again, neutral just because even though Eric Gordon's good, the team itself just wasn't doing much, frankly. And then the Detroit Pistons, uh, they take in James Wiseman in three seconds. They trade away Sadiq Bay. They've got a huge log jam there in the uh, front court spots. Curious to see what they do there, but uh, I th- I don't think they were really plumbing much with Sadiq Bay. And if they're really stoked about Bojan Bogdanovic for the future of you know rebuilding this team, then there probably wasn't much room for Bay's skills anyways. So this kind of keeps them neutral. So that's the entire league. Who got better, who got worse, according to yours truly. Now the playoff race. How does this affect the playoff race? I talked about it a little bit, but I think the first thing is that Phoenix and Dallas out west join Memphis and Denver in an elite four. Okay, Those are the clear four that you think, hey, two of these are going to be Western Conference finalists. And they join rival for uh, rival four teams in the east as a, a true championship tier of eight teams and those four out east are the uh, boston celtics milwaukee bucks philadelphia 76ers and cleveland cavaliers i think with phoenix dallas memphis and denver those eight are the ones you are really really interested and and who are the betting favorites for for getting to their respective conference finals. Brooklyn and the Los Angeles Lakers. I think each of those teams did enough to slide into the play-in. Brooklyn will be sliding back in the standings. Uh, I do think that they fall behind Miami. Um, They probably fall behind... um, Who did I have them falling behind? I mean, they probably fall behind... Uh, the New York Knicks as well, but I think they settle right there in kind of the seven seed. So I think they did enough. They got enough players back that I think um, they'll be fine. Also, I, I failed to say that for Brooklyn, they're also getting uh, Mikhail Bridges. They're also getting Cam Johnson uh, in that deal. So it's not just Finney Smith and Dinwiddie. They're also getting those other two wings um, who are who are big deals, frankly. So that's about Brooklyn. Then the Los Angeles Lakers, I think they did enough to get into the plan. I think they settle in right in the ninth spot, but you could see them getting eight or seven, uh, but I don't think they're any worse than nine. The eight and seven seeds that I have kind of pegged are the Warriors and the Pelicans, and it's possible they could slide ahead of the Warriors because of Steph's injury. Um but I would still say the Lakers are in the play-in. And that's mostly a function of we're just so late in the season that I don't think they ascend that far. And so many other teams out west got better. I, can't, I don't think they ascend that far. I think they're better than your average ninth seed, though, for sure. Okay, 
so that's how I think the playoff race gets really mixed up. I don't see a ton of mix-up out east other than Brooklyn fading, that type of thing. Um, I do think Atlanta sticks in the plan. Um, but anyways, let's shift our focus to the draft outlook. This one's interesting. I think Toronto and Portland, they they do enough to to ascend to the back end of the lottery. Okay, Portland is going to be gunning, an absolute gunning for the play-in tournament. I actually have them um, missing the play the play-in, but staying in the back end of the lottery. Um, I think they did enough, and they're going to be motivated enough to do that. The Toronto Raptors, I think, got good enough to again go to the back end of the lottery. Um, I actually have them as the ninth seed out east, and then it's just a matter of if you win games or lose games to see where you end up. As far as Utah, Utah is the big one here. The Jazz are the one who gets significantly impacted here in this draft outlook. I think they slide quite a bit, and, and basically... Join that second tier after Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte, Orlando, Detroit. After those five, I think the Jazz slide into that second tier, and I think they're competing with Indiana for the first team in that second group. Okay, so that second group's going to comprise um, Indiana, Washington, Portland, Chicago, Toronto, uh, those teams. And I think the Jazz have a real case to be the first team in line in that second group. If you remember, back at the start of the season, we I kind of pegged, hey, if the Jazz are in the three to seven, uh, or, or three to seven or four to seven rank for a draft pick, the Jazz have an excellent, excellent spot. And I said seven was kind of like the backstop of, hey, if we kept the veterans for a real, real long time, then we probably can't do much better than seven. And we're going to be right there. And I think we're really going to be right there in that six, seven spot in the draft order. I really do. And that gives you enough good good probability to get Victor Wembanyama or just to jump in that top four. Uh, and even if you don't, you're going to be right in line to get Gigi Jackson, Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, um, Kaysen Wallace, um, any of these guys, I think you're going to be right in line for. Maybe a Sore Thompson falls. Um, you're surely going to be uh, in a range to where you could you know, take Nick Smith Jr. You could take Grady Dick, Jet Howard, um, Bryce Sensabaugh. You could, I mean, you would for sure get any of those guys. And I think you would be right in line for the, the first group I talked about in the draft. So that's kind of how I think the draft really shakes up after this trade deadline and the playoff race. Uh, thanks for sticking with me as we went through all that. All right, let's briefly touch on the future of the Utah Jazz. This one's really, really interesting. As far as 2023 goes, um, the rest of this year, including the offseason, starting of next, of next season, the draft. 538 projects us to be 11th in the draft order. Minnesota 16th, Philadelphia 25th. So those were would be our picks, 11, 16, 25. Philadelphia, I do think that's right. 
Um, they're they're really good, and they're going to be right there. Minnesota at 16. That feels about right, too. Perhaps they slide a little bit. Maybe they get a touch better to, like, 17 or 18. But I think you have this, this range of 12 to 18 where it's going to be a game. A game, maybe two. And it really kind of just just determines whether or not you're healthy, whether or not you're you're all in sync and stuff. And the last time the, that uh, Mike Conley changed teams, he had a really, really rough go for a while. Curious to see if that happens again. But the Jazz at 11th, that one, that one I don't know that 538 was really updated their projections given what the Jazz have. They also may be assuming the, that Russell Westbrook plays for the Jazz. I don't anticipate him playing. Whether that is a contract buyout, whether that is the Jazz just waving him, or the most likely the Jazz just say, hey, you don't have to show up, Russ. You can just stay in L.A., no hard feelings. And he never actually plays. Um, but that's that's the one that is still a little bit questionable. Jazz at 11th, 538 projection. Free agency, Jazz are going to have... Clear max plus cap space for various avenues that we've already talked about. For Beyond, um, Beyond is interesting. 2024, the Jazz, this is the first year the Jazz will owe their first round pick to Oklahoma City. If you remember, the Jazz traded Derek Favors to get off of his contract and attached a first round pick to do so. That first round pick is protected, so if the Jazz are bad enough, they keep it. And they probably do keep it in 2024, but this is the first year where you start to watch that. Do the Jazz give the pick up to Oklahoma City? In 2025, the Jazz still have a pick to convey to Oklahoma City if it hasn't yet. And this is probably the last year you're okay with it conveying in 2025. But the Jazz also have two other unprotected picks from Minnesota and from Cleveland. Jazz will be making a decision on Larry Market in this year. 2025 Uh, they're also hoping to open their championship window right now Um, you've really figured out who larry marketing is hopefully you've drafted uh, a real difference maker and hopefully you've also seen a star hit the market that the jet that fits kind of who what the jazz are going for the jazz can trade for him by this time and this is when the jazz are hoping to open that window and with all of their young players all of the picks and um, Larry Markin and all these people. Hopefully that window's open a long, long time. 2026, this is the big swap year with Cleveland and Minnesota. Basically, the Jazz get to say, we get the best pick out of three teams, Cleveland, Minnesota, and Utah. So whoever's got the best pick, we're going to keep it. But this one is still tied up with Oklahoma City. If we haven't conveyed our pick yet, if we're good enough we could owe that pick to Oklahoma City, and the swap is void, which is interesting. So the Jazz, they either need to be bad enough in 24, so then it conveys in 25, bad enough in 25 and 26, so it never conveys, basically. So that one's tough. That one's interesting, but we definitely do not want that pick to convey in 2026. Uh, this is also the year where the Walker Kessler and Oshai Abaji will be hitting restricted free agency. Now, Kessler would probably extend prior to that, though 
you know, anything could happen between now and then. You, you absolutely don't make that decision yet. But in 2025, if Kessler's as good or better than we think, we're extending him. Um, and same thing with Oshai Abaji. But you might say, hey, we're going to wait until restricted free agency because he's good, but we just, you know, we don't know his market exactly. So that's 2026. 2027, this is when the Jazz have three unprotected picks and the top four protected pick from the Lakers. This, again, is why I say I don't think we ever make that pick. Um, I think this is a pick you trade because if you were to part with any of the 2027 picks, you'd want to part with the, the top four protected from the Lakers, I think. This is also the year you have restricted free agency on the rookies will be taking this coming summer. 2028, you have the swap with Cleveland. And in 2029, you have two unprotected picks, including that top five protected pick from the Minnesota Timberwolves. So basically, there is still a ton, a ton of hope. The Jazz decided that for their next title team, Malik Beasley didn't fit the mold. Jared Vanderbilt didn't fit the mold. Mike Conley wasn't going to be good enough to really help the team. They also said that that a top four protected pick from the Lakers, that is a significantly enough value asset that it will help the team by virtue of trading it early or making the selection eventually for um, the pick. So... That's basically what they said this deadline. Hey, we've we've experimented with this team. This team fell in the Jazz lap, okay? They didn't really feel strongly about any of these guys. It it was just how what it took to get the money to work for the Gobert and Mitchell trades. But now we have this team and for the entire season they've been trying to figure out, okay, who is part of the next championship team. And they essentially said, "Hey, those three aren't aren't part of it and they parlayed it into an asset that will help the team in one form or another and the jazz next goal is to find their guy in the draft and um, use their cap space wisely this summer to either for, for further experiment to get a player they really believe is part of that uh, that core uh, or to use it as further asset acquisition you know, space. So that that's essentially kind of what the Jazz said this offseason or this trade deadline. And it's full of potential. Hopefully you've enjoyed recapping the Jazz trade, the entire deadline for the league, who got better, who got worse, and how that affects the playoffs and the draft. And also what kind of the future holds for the Utah Jazz down the line. We got a peek into what the front office thinks about what the next championship team will be. And we're going to get more clues as the draft and free agency comes upon us. Thank you so much for joining me on the Jabber Jazz podcast today. If you like what we're doing, please continue to listen, subscribe to the podcast, uh, share with friends. We'd really appreciate giving us a shout out on Twitter at Jabber underscore jazz. Uh, even leaving a review or a comment in YouTube or on the podcast of your choice, Apple or Spotify, that goes a long way to helping this channel circulate to other jazz fans like yourselves. Thank you so much again, and as is customary here, we're going to leave you with some sounds of jazz. <laughs>